0: before everything else, allow me to express my appreciation that you have come here in this way, namely to or in search of understanding about Dhamma in order to use, in order to live your life. Let's take a little time to consider the meaning of this word Dhamma. It will help us to understand things. Dhamma is a marvelous word which is impossible to translate into any other language, and so we retain the original Indian word, Dhamma. It's very hard to translate because Dhamma means everything. Dhamma includes all things without any exception. The form of the word that's most well known in the West is the Sanskrit form, which is, should be pronounced karma, karma. This is a little bit different than the Pali form. Pali is the language of the earliest Buddhist scriptures in which it's pronounced Tama, Tama. These are both spelled with a DH at the beginning, but in Thailand that's pronounced Tama. Now both Sanskrit and Pali are languages with an extensive grammar, and so the form of words varies according to the use, person, gender, and so on. Now, the form of, if we take the very common, ordinary form of the word, especially as a common noun, then in Sanskrit it's pronounced. That's the common noun singular form. In Pali, it's simply tamo, tamo, But in Thai, they. Thai doesn't have any of this grammar kind of thing, and so it's just tam in Thai. And so in. When we're speaking here, we simply use the word tam, tam. But we want you to know where this word comes from, from the old Pali tamma. However, when we speak of the tamma as the highest thing, as the most excellent thing, then in Thailand we put the word pra, pra in front of it. This comes from the Pali language also, and it means excellence, excellence, or something that's very high and exalted. And so we talk of tra tam when speaking of the highest tama. Now we <clears throat> come to the meaning of the word tama. Tama can mean life itself, and it can mean the way of life. Further, it's the light which shines, revealing the way of life. And then it's, Kama also means the supreme goal of that way of life. And finally, tamma can also mean following that way, living out that way of life. The word tamma can be translated in many ways, but these are some of the meanings we want to focus on. Life itself, the way of life, the light, the light that shows us the way, the goal, of that way, the final supreme goal, and actually following and living that way. Now, tamma can be in the form of theory or certain knowledges which we study in order to understand. Tamma can also be the practice according to that Theory and understanding, and finally, tama is the fruits, the results, and benefits that come from this practice. The word tama refers to all three of these aspects. At the meditation center, at certain times, you are getting tama in the form of talks and lectures some knowledge and theory about tamā. And then at other times, you put that into practice, that, under, that knowledge you practice according to the instructions and advice you're given. And that's the tamā in the form of practice. And then there will be For everyone, certain benefits and results coming from that, more or less, and these then are the artamma in the form of results or fruits of practice. All three of these work together and in this way. Next we'd like to discuss, briefly, why it is that we choose to talk and meet at this time of day. We choose the time of dawn, because this is a very good time for listening and to and investigating the tamā. This is the time of day, for example, when many flowers open up, and blossom. This we can call the blossoming time of the day. Similarly, for us, this is a time when our minds are most receptive, most open, and therefore best able to hear and understand tamma. So we choose this time of day, even though it may be difficult for some of you, especially those who like to sleep late. We encourage you to decide for yourself whether or not this is a special time of day to be made use of, whether here at the monastery or living at home. The Buddha awakened at dawn. And we suspect that all the great religious teachers have made special use of this time of day. We can call it the world of 5 a.m. This world of 5 a.m. is a special time. So, we encourage you all to make use of it, no matter where you are, no matter who you are with, to learn how to benefit from the world at 5 a.m. Another way of speaking is to say, Our teacups aren't yet overflowing. This is a Metaphor we borrow from the Zen people. At this time of day, our teacups aren't yet filled. There's still some space, still some room to pour something into our teacups. Later in the day, our teacups get filled up with all kinds of things, and there's no room for anything new. But now at 5 a.m., our teacups aren't yet overflowing. So there's still room to add something, add something new in order to get some special benefits. Then you might be wondering, what new thing are we going to add? We can say that here at 5 a.m., we add the light of dhamma, or we can say the light of life, the light of in for our lives. Or to speak in a slightly more monastic way, we can say this is a time to add the light of the Pasana, the light of insight and clear seeing. When we do vipassana, then there are, the, there are the proper results of vipassana, which is a light. The more there is this vipassana, or insight, the more we understand dhamma. And if we continue in this way, eventually we understand dhamma completely. And when you understand tamā completely, perfectly, then there are no more problems in your life. The next thing to consider is your morning walk, walking over here at 4.30 and then your walk back about 7.30. This morning walk is a special opportunity to practice Dhamma. One can walk while practicing the Dhamma of anatta or not-self. In this way, we walk without a walker. Learn to use this morning walk as a time to practice walking without a walker. This is to walk in voidness, in sunyata, where there's just the walking, to be only aware of the movements of the legs and the body. There's just the movement of walking, but there's no walker, there's no self or ego that is walking. Please use your morning walk in this way. If you work on this every day, if you practice walking without a walker every day, you will understand Dhamma much more clearly and deeply. And then we can practice sitting without a sitter. Standing without anyone standing, eating without an eater, bathing without a bather, even defecating without a defecator. We learn to do everything naturally without any one or any self that is doing these actions until we can do anything and we can do everything naturally without needing some self, some urge to do it. So ultimately there is just life. There's life without anyone who lives it. There is life without any self to live it and possess it you might be wondering what good is that, what benefit is there in living without some person living. We can answer briefly that it has the highest benefit of living a life that is totally free of dukkha, of any kind of painfulness or dissatisfaction or disease. Disease. When there's no, when there's life lived in anatta, not self, or sunyatā, voidness, then one really realizes the highest possible benefit in life, a life that is totally beyond all dukkha. Then the question arises. How can we live life in such a way if we don't have any understanding of it? Obviously, if we've never heard about such a life and have no understanding of it, then it will be impossible to live life in such a way. And this is why we search for the Dhamma. This is why we have activities such as this, in order that there will be some understanding of Dhamma so that we can see how to live our lives in the way that we're explaining. And so now we'll take some time to to consider the, the Dhamma, which will show us how to live that way. When we speak of a light in our lives, we can speak in two ways. Light, a physical light, and then a spiritual light. We need to understand both kinds of light thoroughly in order to get the most benefits from it. So we'll look at light in both a physical sense and in a spiritual sense. Life requires both kinds of light. The physical light is the light of the sun that we all know so well. Without this light, there could be no life. Without this light, the plants would all shrivel up and die. Our cells would not be able to grow without the physical light of the sun. But all living things, including plants, also require a spiritual light or the light of Dhamma. This is the light of life itself. To be alive There is another kind of light, the light of life, the light of consciousness in plants, and animals, in everything else. All the things that are alive have this, this kind of spiritual light or mental light. Without it, nothing would be alive. And so both kinds of light are necessary for life the physical light and then the light of Dhamma, which is a kind of mental light or a spiritual light for our minds, for our hearts. If the body lacks physical light, it will die. If the mind lacks spiritual light, It will die. The body dies in its way, and the mind dies in its particular way, because there is no life. So we need to be quite interested in having this spiritual life so that our minds will not die. If life lasts these two kinds of life, physical and spiritual, it'll be worse than simply dying. It's not just that life will die, it's that life will be totally wasted without both kinds of life. So we should pay special attention to this matter in order to search for the spiritual life, so that we are truly alive and can receive the the highest benefit from life. Regarding the physical light, this is something that all of you have probably studied in books, in science classes and so on. In fact, you probably know more about it than I do. So we needn't speak about it any further. Instead, let's talk about the spiritual light, the light of Dhamma. This light of Dhamma shines in the very same world as the physical light. There are two kinds of light, but they shine in the same world. It's just that one shines physically and the other shines spiritually. When speaking in the Dhamma language of Buddhism, we say that the spiritual light is wisdom. The Buddha put it that wisdom is the light of this world. Now, the light he's talking about isn't the sun, but he's speaking about wisdom. Wisdom means correct understanding of the things we need to know. When we know the essentials of life correctly, that is called wisdom or panya. This is the light of this world. This is the kind of light that we can't do without. It's necessary for us to discover this light of wisdom. Now, when we speak of this kind of mental light, we mean a light that penetrates into and realizes the reality of things as they exist in this world. This penetration to or insight into the clear seeing of things as they truly are is called vipassana, vipassana. And this is then the spiritual light of our lives, beginning with starting to pay attention to things, and then observing them more and more carefully, more deeply, until we penetrate to the essence, the heart of these things, until we know them as they truly are. This is, this is what Vipassana or insight is about. Now insight needs to be insight into all the things that are directly relevant to our lives. It's impossible to have insight into everything in the universe. What we mean is to be especially to realize the reality of our own lives, of all the things that make up our lives. So this means to study our own lives, to look deeply into our own lives until seeing them as they actually are. This means to know all the aspects of our lives and to be able to control our lives, and then to live our lives for the highest benefit. In Buddhism, we have a kind of fourfold approach to studying and investigating life. The first is to know the natures of of these things. To know the, the nature of our lives and the things in our lives. Second is to know the law that governs all those natures. Third is to know our duties regarding these natures or things. And fourth is to know the results, the benefits that come from carrying out our duties correctly. So to thoroughly investigate life in order to understand it in all its essential aspects, we study the nature of things, the law that governs that nature, the duty that is our proper response to that law, and then to know the results that come from doing that duty. If we follow this fourfold approach, it will lead our lives further and further. It will increase the light of Dhamma until we reach the highest thing, the most important thing that life ought to attain. Now, there's one system of knowledge which is called eppajyatapaticasamupada or conditionality and dependent origination if you understand this eppajyatapaticasamupada then you will understand life in all four of these meanings you'll understand the nature of life The natural law of life. You'll understand the duties of life and the fruits of when those duties are done. We'll understand life thoroughly in such a way that we live without any problems. We live life on the highest level. Therefore, please listen very carefully when your instructors at the meditation center explain to you the facts about the tapajayata, paticcasamuppata, or conditionality and dependent origination. If you understand this completely, thoroughly, then you will cease to have any problems in life. When you study this, you'll start to, when you study this conditionality and dependent origination, you'll see that life has causes and conditions. It's not that life is just blind faith or something like that, but life, in fact, has a cause. And life depends on conditions. Further, you'll see that life must happen, must continue and develop according to the causes and conditions. This is the only way it can be. Life depends on causes and conditions, and life happens according to causes and conditions. We will realize this more and more thoroughly and profoundly as we study conditionality and dependent origination. When we, the more deeply we realize this, then we see that we have to live life correctly, in line with those causes and conditions. And when we do so, life will be free of dukkha. Life will be free of all problems and trouble. Now, here we speak of the person who doesn't know anything about conditionality and dependent origination as being ignorant. We call such people fools because they don't know how to live their lives in the right way, and so their lives are full of dukkha. They have many problems, they suffer a lot of needless pain, and so we say that they are ignorant. Now here we're inviting and encouraging you to study this matter, to learn about dependent origination, until we are very intelligent concerning it, that means we'll be intelligent concerning life. We will know how to live life in the right way, so that we can take our lives to the highest benefit, to the highest potential. When we say the fool, we mean the person who is unable to lead life to its ultimate goal. In Buddhism, this is what we mean by the fool, or the ignorant person. Anyone who cannot take their life to the ultimate goal of life. Please keep this definition of the fool in mind. Now there are some people who are very intelligent we call them intellectuals. They might have a lot of knowledge and facts, but often they're not the right knowledge. They're the kind of ideas and opinions which derail one from the path of life. They have desires for this and desires for that. They're carrying on these activities and those activities, which just take one which prevent them from actually realizing the purpose or goal of life. To have lots of knowledge isn't the answer. We have to have the kind of understanding and intelligence which actually leads us to our goal. Some of these people have a lot of knowledge, but this knowledge often turns out to be a kind of darkness. We call it a white darkness. If you look into the sun, it creates a kind of blindness or darkness, but it's a white darkness. In the same way, if we have all kinds of knowledge of unimportant things, we have the right kind of knowledge, or if we we don't have the right kind of knowledge, this can blind us. All this knowledge, all the facts, all the information, all the opinions can blind us just the way that the sun can blind us if it shines directly into our eyes. We need to deal properly with this white darkness so that we, our intelligence and knowledge doesn't make us even more stupid. If there is this white darkness shining in our, in our eyes, then we, we can't see. This white darkness prevents the spiritual light from shining into our minds and burning out the roots of ignorance. The spiritual light, or the Dhamma light, is what corrects our ignorance and misunderstanding of life. But if there's A lot of this white darkness, it dazzles our eyes, and there's we can't see. There's no way for the spiritual light to shine into our minds. So we need to be very careful of this white darkness that is so predominant in the world these days. We need to prevent it from blinding us so that we are able to see the spiritual light, which will then free us from our ignorance. The light of Dhamma is not just some more white darkness. Genuine Dhamma light is able to shine down into the depths of the mind into the, what we can call the den, or the cave of ignorance, and remove that ignorance from the mind. Dhamma light is not more white darkness. Dhamma light is true, incorrect. This is why it is able to remove ignorance. So, we're speaking about a light of Dhamma. This light of Dhamma is knowledge of nature. It's a true understanding of nature. And this will enable us to get rid of all problems in life. The light of Dhamma enables us to get free of all the problems and troubles of life. This is a light of nature and so it can solve all the problems regarding nature without any exception. There is no limitation or exception to this light. We mean that there is no limitations in terms of race or nationality. This, this light is effective in all ages, in all eras. This light is effective in all places. So in every time and place, every race and nationality, every language in culture. In all of them, the light of Dhamma can remove our problems. Now, you can see that nature can't really be separated into Thai and European or Indian and Chinese, or African and Eskimo, or who knows what. We all have the same problem, and so we all have to solve this problem in the same way. And the thing that will solve our common problem is the light of Dhamma. It's appropriate for all cultures, all races, all languages, all times, and all places. This light isn't limited by time, by era. Human beings a hundred thousand years ago are very, very primitive ancestors. They had to solve their problems using this same principle of conditionality and dependent origination, that dukkha arises like this, and so dukkha must be solved like this. And then nowadays with modern humanity, who has the ability to go to the moon and all kinds of other technical trickery we still have to solve the problem in the same way, using the principle of conditionality and dependent origination. Whatever the time, dukkha arises in the same way and must be solved in the same way. This light isn't limited by place. Whether Thailand or India, Australia, or the islands of Oceania, surrounded by the sea, whatever place, dukkha arises like this and must be solved like this. Even in in the heavens of the angels or devas, if there is, in fact, such a place, dukkha must be solved in the same single way. So, this life isn't limited by time or place, by race, by culture, or by anything else. This principle is universal for all humanity. So, Our situation is that we don't yet understand the things we need to know. And at the same time, we know about all kinds of things that we don't really need to know. Our knowledge and understanding is excessive instead of being appropriate and sufficient since we have so much excessive knowledge, we now live in a world where we're producing all kinds of excessive, unnecessary things. And therefore, peace is very hard to find because we don't understand dukkha and how it happens. And because we don't know how life should be lived We don't know how to deal with life properly, because of this basic ignorance we don't have much peace in this world. Therefore it's necessary to understand this principle of conditionality, of dependent origination. Now, to go into the details of this will take some time, so we'll save it for a later day. But we want you to understand, for a start, that this principle is the kind of understanding that will clear up our misunderstandings and free us from our excessive um, knowledge and trivia. So please give adequate attention to these facts or to the law of conditionality and dependent origination. Nowadays we have the knowledge and ability to go to the moon just as if it were a stroll in the park. We have a world full of all kinds of high technology. We've got fancy automobiles. There are computers everywhere, airplanes flying through the sky, all kinds of nifty little toys and tricks that we can carry with us. But in spite of all this knowledge and ability we have, there's no more peace in this world. This technology, this cleverness, isn't bringing us any peace, because it isn't aiming for peace. The purpose of this knowledge, all of our knowledge and technology, has, a, has nothing to do with peace. It's not concerned with, with peace. And so the end result is that we have more crises, more war, and more conflict in our world. What we need is a kind of knowledge and ability that is in line with peace, the kind of knowledge and skill, the kind of technology or whatever, which is for peace. But what we've got now ignores peace. It's got a totally different objective and rationale. We need the understanding of conditionality so that we understand how dukkha arises, how dukkha destroys peace, and we need to understand how dukkha can be removed. This is the kind of understanding that will will bring us peace. So nowadays our knowledge is excessive, our tools and toys are excessive, so instead of solving our problems, this increases our problems. We have more trouble and conflict than ever before. We need to correct our knowledge. We need to replace it with a right understanding which can in fact solve our problems. We need to stop blindly accumulating knowledge without looking to see if it's the knowledge that will actually solve our problems. Otherwise it's just knowledge which blinds us, just more white darkness. We need to find the kind of knowledge that will genuinely solve our problems. We've got the kind of... We've got a kind of intelligence now, which is quite pitiful, because instead of solving our problems, our intelligence creates more problems. Just instead of being appropriate, It's excessive, and therefore it blinds us, a kind of white darkness. And this white darkness now, this pitiful kind of intelligence we have, which can't even solve our problems, this is dominating the world. The whole world now is under the power of this white darkness. Our intelligence is not very deep, it doesn't penetrate to the level that we would call intuitive wisdom, and so it doesn't apprehend and comprehend things as they really are. Our intelligence is not very profound, nor is it relevant. And this is why it is unable to solve our problems, why it is unable to deal with dukkha. Our, in, we have, our intelligence doesn't yet know how to look at our own lives. Our intelligence doesn't understand ourselves. Our intelligence is merely objective. There's nothing subjective about it. Our intelligence isn't inner. It doesn't know how to go inside. If we aren't able to look deeply into our own hearts and really understand life, so now we need to find some way to peel off our skin. And to get deep down into the flesh and meat of our lives in order to have an intelligence that can be called intuitive wisdom. We're not speaking about some understanding that comes from outside. What we're talking about is to have looked deeply into one's own life, into one's own experience, and then to have seen one's life clearly, as it really is. What is needed is a spiritual clarity which comes from our own experience. Based on our own experience, of life, we have the potential to see everything clearly if we are able to really dig deep into that experience as we, as we live it. So here we hope that you're not expecting to get some knowledge from, from us, that you're coming here to memorize things, to store up facts and so on. That's not the kind of spiritual clarity that's needed. What is needed is to see your own experience as it is, to experience your own life in terms of its own reality. And on the basis of this spiritual clarity, we will know what life is, we will know how to live it, and we will know what the purpose of life is. So please don't depend on us or any books or other external sources. Depend only on your own spiritual clarity. Allow us to speak directly. We've, the kind of intelligence we have is merely memorized. It's the intelligence of rote learning. We've got a kind of intelligence which has been passed down from previous generations, traditionally and even superstitiously. So we don't have a kind of light of Dhamma. But we have this traditional memorized sort of intelligence which is unable to solve our problems because it's not direct enough, it's not clear, it's not true. Now we've got an intelligence which is the slave of desire, especially the foolish blind desires that have no interest in peace and solely seek fun and games especially sensual games and sexual pleasures. Our intelligence is merely the slave of this kind of ignorant desire. And so there's no chance that it will bring us to peace. So we need to find a kind of intelligence which is no longer the slave of this desire. We need an intelligence that is seeking peace, genuinely. Nowadays, the only kind of peace we want is the peace to indulge our desires and so we don't have any real peace. We need a true desire for peace rather than the kind of desires we've got. This is the kind of intelligence that can help us. Our intelligence now is not free. It's because of it, it's enslaved to desire. There's no real freedom in our thinking, in our understanding. It's all trapped by our desires. We need to free intelligence so that it can serve life truly. Our intelligence is enslaved to selfishness. Our knowledge and intelligence serve selfishness rather than peace, and so this is the kind of world we end up with, one in which selfishness is dominant and where peace is hard to find. So we need to find an intelligence which is free, which no longer serves egoism and self-centeredness, an intelligence that is free of that. If we do, this is the way for peace to manifest in our world. Our understanding is dominated by selfishness. Our understanding isn't correct. It's a rather foolish and stupid kind of understanding, because it's focused primarily on ego, on me. We're full up with kinds of understanding of what I want and how I'm going to get it. but we do, So we don't have any understanding of peace. Because we've got so much stupid understanding, so much selfish understanding, The genuine understanding that allows us to live in peace and true happiness doesn't have a chance to fill our minds. Our our selfish ignorance prevents this from happening. Somehow we need to create a little space for the unselfish understanding, for peaceful intelligence, to enter our minds, and then to start living according to that intelligence. Our intelligence aims only for progress and development, it doesn't aim for peace. And a kind of intelligence which solely seeks to create new things, to produce new things, becomes dominated by selfishness because it has no interest in peace. And so as long as our intelligence is dominated by selfishness, we'll have to live in a world that lacks peace. Because selfish intelligence, selfish thinking, selfish understanding won't even bring peace to one person, let alone the world. So, we're looking for the kind of understanding that leads to peace. This me, must be the understanding, the intelligence that is free of ego, is free of selfishness. Our education, the educations we have in the schools, don't serve God, and they don't serve the Dhamma. They don't serve correctness or truth. And so these educations just develop more self-centeredness, more selfish cleverness, which brings on more and more troubles, problems, and conflicts. It's time to educate and train ourselves in a different way in a way that is aiming for real peace. An education in unselfishness, training in unselfishness, is the only way that will bring us peace. This is the kind of light we need to shine into our lives. Please don't think that this is impossible. Because if you think it's impossible, then it's to just give up and turn the whole world over to to ignorance and selfishness. And it's not true that it is impossible. In fact, it's very possible that we can turn around, turn our lives around. And instead of living according to selfish intelligence, Live our lives according to unselfish understanding in wisdom. This is possible, and from the very moment we begin to take the first step in a new direction, we'll start to experience increasing peace and well being. As long as we continue in the old ways, we'll constantly re under, we'll constantly undergo stress, conflict, and dukkha. So it's completely possible if we only begin to examine the way things are happening and then begin to train ourselves according to the spiritual light that comes from our own experience. It is very possible, so please work to train yourself in this new way. Physical light, sunlight, is necessary for life, but it cannot solve our spiritual problems. For these, a spiritual light is necessary, the light of Dhamma. We need both of these kind of lights the physical light for physical life, and the spiritual light for spiritual life. So please... Now, the physical light is there. We don't have to worry about it. But we need to give special attention to this second kind of light, the light of Dhamma, the light of nature and the law of nature. We need to shine this light into our hearts and start to so it changes the way we see and understand the world and then to live according to that light. So please don't forget that both kinds of light are necessary. And find this second kind of light. You have to find it for yourself. Nobody can give it to you. But Find this spiritual light and let it enlighten your heart. The light that sees the law of conditionality and dependent origination is the light of Dhamma. Once the Buddha said, whoever sees dependent origination sees the Dhamma. This is the same kind of light. The spiritual light that is needed is the light that sees the fundamental law of nature, the law of conditionality, the law of dependent origination. This is the light that will show us the way to our fullest potential in life. This is the light that will show us to the ultimate goal and final purpose. Of life. So our study has two stages, two aspects. First, we study the truth of things. We study the truth of Dhamma to know all things as they genuinely are. And then we train to make the mind act in according with that truth. We train the mind so that it is in line with the way things are, with Dhamma, with natural truth. So There are two aspects to what we're doing here at the meditation center. There are, first we're trying to understand the way things are, and then we're training the mind to be in harmony with, to be in accordance with, the way things are with truth. This is what we hope you are working on, this twofold training. We Our time is up, so we'd like to thank you for coming and listening attentively. We should also thank the world of 5 a.m. If it wasn't for this special world of 5 a.m., we probably wouldn't be able to sit here and listen for two hours. We hope that you'll be able to make increasing and better use of the world of 5 a.m. so you can make the most of it. We hope that your time here is well spent, that you will find things that will enable you to realize the highest purpose of life. Thank you for listening. We close today's meeting now.